Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place, I can promise you that. Today's buzz, myth-busting, we love that term, we love to set things right. So I have a question for all of you out there, maybe it's a little rhetorical, but bear with me. Okay, put on your thinking caps, time for the Jeopardy question. Which is bigger, the planet Earth, okay, think of the solar system, the Earth, you know how to do that, or the networked economy, Internet of Things, or Industry 4.0, so we've got three trends on one side. We've got the planet Earth on the other. Well, I know you can't figure that one out, but here's how we do it. Relax. We have something much more important to talk about. Busting the myths on these three trends. I mentioned the networked economy. I mentioned Internet of Things, which we fondly call IoT or Industry 4.0. It might have more impact on the future of your business than anything you think you know about the planets. That's a heavy-duty statement. I know. We have three panelists here, three experts, one in the U.S., two calling in from Germany. We're going to ask them to help us set the record straight so you know what's coming down the, the new solar system. Maybe we have to invent a new term, the network of the solar system. Let's see what my guests have to say. First up is uh, an old friend of SAP Game Changers Radio. He was on many years ago, and I'm glad to be able to say many years ago. We've been on the air for years now. His name is Dinesh Sharma. He is the vice president president of marketing for the networked economy at SAP. And Dinesh sent me the following quote, the biggest misconception about the networked economy and industry 4.0 is that they are one and the same. Well, it's time to start myth busting. Dinesh Sharma, how are you today? Pretty good, Bonnie. Glad to have you back. It's been a long time. What were you yeah. on about three years ago? I think it was uh, in the cloud with game changers. Do you remember the good old days, Dinesh? The good old days, yeah. Now the cloud is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> now the cloud is everywhere, and you know what? We are—we uh, have a new series we just started last week called Industry Cloud Trends. So we are back to cloud radio, but today you're on with me on Transforming Your Business. So, Dinesh, you sent me a great quote. Let's get started. The biggest misconception about networked economy and Industry 4.0 is they're really the same. True, false, and tell me why. Go ahead, Dinesh. Um Networked economy is a term which is meant to be deliberately expansive. You know, if you think if you pass the, the, the language of it, it is essentially trying to talk about networks of networks. Uh, we've already obviously proven to be um, very adept at creating networks, whether they're social networks for uh, you, me to engage, be able to maintain contacts. The same with business networks. You know, businesses are able to find buyers and sellers and engage in commerce at all different kinds of places. And so we think of these networks as just continuing to grow. And when I hear the terminology Industry 4.0 as an overriding term, I go back to what, you know, my understanding of this and, you know, our esteemed uh, colleagues on the call will, will probably go into it in more detail. But Industry 4.0 really looks at a focus on what does the network economy mean for manufacturing. It may expand in the future, but it's really about a mega trend, which is what networked economy is, which is impacts individuals, businesses, and societies, whereas Industry 4.0 uh, is really an industry trend, which is how does the networked economy manifest itself in the manufacturing sector? 
And um, that's kind of how we start to differentiate. The network economy includes many other types of different areas, collaborative economy, sharing economy, digital economy. It is a kind of an overriding term. Um, but industry 4.0, we think, is very specific around what's required for the manufacturing industry. And that's critical to everything that we do. Think about everything that we use on a daily basis, manufactured. What does that mean? How are things going to change? Um, and so that's how we kind of differentiate between the two. And hopefully that clears up some of the misconceptions. Thank you, Dinesh. I appreciate that. That's, that's interesting for me, uh, coming at it as, as a host of the show and, and not knowing deeply about these terms. But I'm, I'm also interested, Dinesh, in asking you, before I bring on our second panelist, asking you, who is banding about these terms as though they're the same? Is this coming from people who are just basically opening their eyes one day, Dinesh, and saying, oh, we have all these trends floating around. I think I'll just use them interchangeably and people will think I'm so smart. Where is it coming? Or is it from people who, who think they know more than they do and they're just mixed up? Or is it just like, I don't know, saying potatoes or potatoes? Any, any in- inclination? Can you help us on who is interchanging these? Who is causing the confusion? I think, you know, you put it, uh, you hit the nail on the head. It's, as people start to enter these different types of discussions, you can broaden one discussion or one term, which is what sometimes people do with Industry 4.0, or you can narrow a term like network economy. And so, uh, again, when you create new terms in technology, and we're really good at this, having come mm-hmm. from the marketing side, is they are prone to uh, misrepresentation at different times. Uh, but if you actually look at the uh, Industry 4.0 terminology and where it was uh, created, where it was started in Germany as a government-sponsored initiative to, to look at what the future of the manufacturing industry was, I think it's been broadened by some people. You know, and it may continue to be that way. It may expand beyond the manufacturing sector. But right today, if you really think of it in um, in pure definition terms, I think it's definitely around the manufacturing sector. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate your uh, indulging my question, Dinesh. We have a lot more to hear from you during the show. Let me bring on our second panelist and newcomer to SAP Game Changers Radio. It's Thomas Rinn, R-I-N-N. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. He is a senior partner at Roland Berger Strategy Consultants. He's also the global head of two competence centers, operations strategy and engineered products, high tech. And here's a very long quote from Thomas. Everybody sit back and wait for me to get through this quote. But there's a lot of meat on the bones here. Tom Thomas says, the worldwide industry is losing big chances today. The implementation of Industry 4.0 processes in several industri- industrial sectors could lead to an, a performance improvement of 20 to 30 percent. That's right, 20 to 30 percent. That's major. Nevertheless, Thomas warns, only 10 percent of German firms have started this transformation process as of right now. They are simply losing profits. I'm going to stop right there. It sounds like we have a new profit talking about profits. Thomas Rin, welcome to Trans- Transforming your business. How are you today, Thomas? I'm very fine, Bonnie. Thanks a lot, and hello from Germany. Thank you very much. And tell me, I read most of your quote because it's very involved, but don't these terms know that they are losing profits? They're losing business. Tell us, what is your observation from the standpoint of Roland Berger Strategy Consultants, and why is this happening, Thomas? You know, there's quite a lot ongoing at the moment, and I'm absolutely agreeing with the first panelist that the focus of Industry 4.0 is on the factory and the manufacturing industry. 
still there is so many buzzwording around and nobody really understands and there's such a lot of confusion uh, in the market on all those trends. What we see at the moment is that there are a lot of technologies out there in the market that are there for, for many, many, year, many, many years and could be just used in the factories much, much better and could be combined. And I think there's a huge opportunity to really go into those uh, tools, technologies, use those processes, connect within the factory. And I think there is an opportunity of, of 20 to 30%. Nevertheless, there's a huge issue on, especially in the German industry, on, on the cybersecurity issue and, and the question, um, if, if I open my machinery, for example, in, in uh, predictive maintenance to, to the suppliers of this machinery and really give them access, what do I endanger in my own production? So there is um, a potential on the one side, but there is also a danger on the other side, and that's quite difficult for, for the companies to implement, even the, when there are no standards yet given um, in, in the market. Thank you very much, Thomas. So everybody has heard it from, can I call you the profit about the profits? I'm sorry for that spin on a couple of letters difference, but what do you think, Thomas? Are you ready to be a profit? I didn't really understand your question. Very <laughs> I'm well. sorry. You know, a profit, a profit is somebody who prophesizes something, who says something is coming in the future, and I'm saying you are a prophet about these losing profits. Just making a pun. Uh, I think there's a word called homonym. This is when two words sound the same <laughs> and are spelled differently. So indulge me, please. Thank you, Thomas. Let's bring on our third panelist. It's Niels Herzberg. He is the Senior VP and Global Co-Lead for Go-To-Market for Internet of Things at SAP. A very long title, another huge business card, Niels. And Niels sent me the following quote. The Internet of Things will ultimately take out a lot of the guesswork out of running a business. Within a few years, IoT, the Internet of Things, will be a part of the corporate fabric of every enterprise. I like that prophecy. Niels Herzberg, welcome. How are you today? Bonnie, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm, you, you are so clear, Niels. Your voice is so sharp. I still think you're here sitting in a chair next to me in my office. This is amazing. Anyway, Niels, welcome. And talk to me about this interesting quote. So you're prophesizing as well. Talk to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to build on what Thomas already said, because he said that there's a lot of inefficiency um, in um, today's enterprise. And, you know, he's, um, he's being the profit uh, of 20 to 30 percent of profits. And um, you know, where are those profits going to come from? It is by eliminating the inefficiencies. It is inefficiencies within a company due to not knowing what really is going on. Um, but it is also taking out the inefficiencies between companies in terms of exchanging data. So um, you know, connecting sensors, connecting products, connecting machines, connecting homes, connecting whatever – actually will give um, our customers or the customers, the enterprises, a, a much, much better understanding of um, what is really going on. And um, thus taking out the guesswork, um, eliminating the surprises. And um, I think, Thomas, that is exactly what is going to drive that performance improvement, the elimination of surprises, um, the elimination of mistakes, because you know what is really going on. The corporate fabric, I think, you know, we have power, we have electricity, we have water, we have all kinds of things. Um, I think the Internet is that next utility, 
and connecting the things to the Internet um, is going to be what companies will do to drive that next level of uh, performance improvement, of efficiency, effectiveness, and customer satisfaction. Thank you, Niels. You say what they will do. I want you to save that for your predictions at the end of the show. We'll talk about what's coming down the pike. And just to give you a heads up, I like to talk about the year 2020, but you and Thomas and Dinesh can pick any time in the future. On some shows, we talk about software and guests say, I can't predict more than six months ahead because it's changing so fast. So, So let's see what the predictions are. But I have a question for my three esteemed panelists, and this may be the toughest thing we have to decide during the entire show today. The question is, what's in your cup today? What are you drinking right now? Or what do you plan to drink after the show? So we'll start with Dinesh Sharma. Dinesh, where are you calling from? What time of the day is it? And are you drinking anything really fascinating? And if not, tell me what's planned for later. Go ahead, Dinesh. Uh, I am in Palo Alto, California. And uh, I have just had a nice cup of coffee at the office. We do have very good coffee at the office, but... I really wish it was a, a cup of Silken Splendor from Phil's Coffee, which is a small um, coffee uh, uh, franchise in the Bay Area, where they their motto is one cup at a time. So they're at the forefront of this custom cup revolution, where you order a cup of coffee and you get it made just for you. And um, anybody who comes here should definitely try and stop by a Phil's. That's uh, well, more than worth your time. Dinesh, our colleague at SAP, Malcolm Kimberlin, loves Phil's coffee. When he tweets during these shows, he's constantly saying, another cup of love from Phil's, I swear, all the time. So it's not a uh, not a strange name to us at all. I'm glad you enjoy Phil's. Thank you for that. Thomas Rin, I know you're in Germany. Where are you calling from, Thomas? And what are you drinking now, or what are you planning to drink after the show? So I'm calling from Stuttgart, Germany, in, in the heart of the German Mittelstand. Uh, it's 4 o'clock or a little bit past 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and I just had a, a doppio espresso, or as you would call it in the US, a double espresso. I think um, it, it keeps me awake uh, because it's not my, my, my mother tongue that I'm talking in at the moment, and um, it keeps me very positive, and it also creates awareness for the fast changes. And I think when, when I'm with clients every day, you see so many clients moving very fast in, into the right directions, and uh, on the Industry 4.0 Internet of Things journey, I think it's, you really have to be awake to really follow this. Thank you very much. I like the way you tied that in about needing to be awake. Uh, I had a guest on one of our shows last week, Thomas, who said he was a 10 to 15 cup of coffee a day drinker. And I love my caffeine during the day, not at night. But when I heard 10 to 15 cups, I thought, now there's a person who's really awake. Wouldn't you say so, Thomas? (laughs) I, I, I think 10 to 15 is a little bit too much. If you drink Tokyo Espresso, you can have five maybe a day, but then it keeps you awake all night. Ah, now we now we have the the cutoff point there. Thank you very much. More profitizing, prophesizing from Thomas Rin and Niels Hersberg. Where are you exactly in Germany? Time of day, and what are you drinking or planning? Um, Bonnie, I'm also here in Germany. I'm in Waldorf, which is the headquarters of SAP. Um, in front of me, an empty cup of tea, black tea, and a glass of water, which still has something in it. But I think what I'm really looking forward to tonight is to actually sit at home in Heidelberg with my wife and drink um, a good 
glass of red wine from South Africa. Uh, you may hear in the accent, actually, I am from South Africa. I hear and, it. Uh, so that is going to be what I'm looking forward to. Niels, I'm not letting you off the hook that quickly. Red wine from South Africa, we want to know what kind, what variety. Do you have a label you want to share? Talk to me. I'll do that later during the show. <laughs> okay, California good. California has they- good wines too. They compare. Oh, okay, good. We have a wine connoisseur here. Guess what? It's time for a break. My panelists are working very hard, and I'm going to put them to the task. When we come back after the break, we're going to have a 30-minute nonstop roundtable. We'll kick it off with words of wisdom from Dinesh Sharma at SAP. We're talking today about myth-busting, the networked economy. We're throwing around a lot of terms and trends, networked economy, Internet of Things, also fondly known as IoT, if you're on the inside of that one, Industry 4. Where do they converge? Where do they intersect? Where are they very, very different and need to not be in the same part of the same sentence? We're going to help you figure it out so you can be in the know, not only so you can speak very well informed at cocktail parties and business events, but you can do more for your business. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to episode number two in one of our brand new series, Transforming Your Business with Game Changers Radio. We are live. It's What day is it today? It's Tuesday. My goodness, I'm off a day. We will be right back after the break, and we will be talking with Dinesh Sharma on our roundtable. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We are witnessing a monumental shift in the way work and business are done. Leaders are looking to radically simplify their organizations while simultaneously engaging and empowering employees to achieve more. These leaders are also seeking to leverage exciting innovations born from interactions between people, businesses, and things in our newly responsive and intelligent, hyper-connected, networked global economy. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how leaders and their teams can help shape the future of change. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to transforming your business with Game Changers. We're back, and here we are. We're going to kick off our roundtable with Dinesh Sharma at SAP. Dinesh, I'm looking at the notes you sent me before the show, and I'm seeing a term, another trend pop up here in your notes. Let me read the statement, and then you can run with it, expand it, and we will invite Thomas and Niels to join you. You say, over the past decade, the growth of social networks highlights the significant changes we've experienced and how people connect and collaborate online. And Dinesh, what I like about this is we're bringing 
in the concept of social networks and linking it to business and the connection collaboration. This is this is a part of the fabric, to reuse a word we used earlier in the first segment, part of the fabric of how we communicate in business in our personal lives today. So let's talk about what is happening in terms of the, the terminology, the trend terminology we're trying to debunk and get rid of the myths today. Dinesh, why don't you expand for us? Yeah, so um, one of the things around social networks, and again, I think we have um, probably close to 1.5, 1.6 billion people on social networks. The projection is by the year 2020 to have about 2.5 billion people, which is a full third of the world population engaging on this type of commerce, engaging this type of social networking. Um, it's proven to be incredibly valuable to us just in our personal lives. Individually, I'm able to keep up with people I otherwise would find a really hard time doing. But the important thing about social networks when it comes from the business side is businesses have tapped into the rich vein of information that's contained when people talk, when people, whether it's online or whether it's... So they suddenly are now privy to understand more things about consumer behavior than people have ever been able to do before. And the other thing that's important about social networks is fundamentally that the technologies that allow you to connect and maintain connections in a peer-to-peer network between billions of people are quite amazing. And those are the things that you've given foundation to businesses doing a similar type of thing with business networks. And business networks allow businesses to find new uh, buyers and also to become new sellers to other companies. So instead of you having a fixed set of suppliers, suddenly you have carte blanche to be able to find a new supplier, maybe from the other side of the world. And even if you're a small company, you could do that and engage with them, do an assessment, do everything online to be able to determine, yes, I can do commerce with this particular entity. And when that happens, you're really removing a lot of the handcuffs from businesses. So imagine being stock out of a particular product, uh, of a particular part that you need to satisfy a production uh, run. If you can go find that from somewhere else, because now the power of business networks allows you to do that, that changes everything. So you've got two powerful networks of people networks and business networks. And now in 2015, you add the mass adoption of the Internet of Things. And this is, but as you said, the term that Neil's introduced before, the fabric, we also refer mm-hmm. to IoT as the catalyst that takes people networks and business networks, social networks and business networks, essentially, and then ties people and businesses together with process, data, things, so that you can seamlessly connect, theoretically, everything together. And at that point, again, as Neil's point, I want to re- reemphasize, you take the guesswork out of everything. Suddenly, when everything's connected, you can pretty much do anything at that, up at that particular point. So we refer to that as the networked economy. So if you really want to think of the Internet of Things, the Internet of Things is the catalyst that takes the power of social and people networks and business networks and turns it into the networked economy. Dinesh, I think that's a, a, a textbook definition, and I appreciate that. We need to write that down somewhere or tweet it somewhere. Wilson, Wilson Zoo at SAP, if you're out there, why don't you tweet that, what Dinesh just said. Uh, it certainly explained a lot of it for me, and thank you for tying it all together. Thomas Wren, let me ask you, do you uh, comment on this, but do you agree or disagree? Anything you want to add to what Dinesh said on this point? 
No, I, I fully agree. Uh, it, the, I think that the networks are really getting combined. Um, for, for me, it's the issue of, of interfaces and having secure and clearly identifiable interfaces between all the networks and to, to really find out uh, how your, your, your company is positioned in the value chain and what the, the dangers are and, and the benefits on the other side. Um, I, I think there's a huge step to go in, in this way, but, but still, whatever, whatever I've heard, I would clearly say absolutely correct. Okay. Niels Hersberg, talk to us. Yes, I think I'm not going to argue with my friend Dinesh here. Um, I, let me add some um, color here, though. I think um, one point um, that um, that he made was about the social networks and you know Facebook being the key. You know, here within it, um, we are talking um, for the Internet of Things. You know, jokingly we sometimes talk that there's a need for something called Thing Book. Okay, so what we did for humans five years ago, we may want to do actually connect things to the internet, and um, you have that concept there as well. And another point that Dinesh made, I just want a sort of a practical example of what he was talking about. Imagine you know, there's, a, um, you know, there's a truck and a trailer in North America, and the, the axle of the trailer has been instrumented to measure the weight and whether the wheels are turning. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you get that data over the internet, um, if the axle realizes it is light and the wheels are turn, uh, turning again, that is the end of the unloading process. Okay? And that would then go into the, 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 the billing systems. And then um, you know, the Internet of Things has a monetary consequence as well. You can trigger the billing process uh, for that person who asked that truck to be there. So this gives you sort of a very practical example of you know, where this thing is going to go. The Internet of Things is required to provide you with the data to do much more accurate things, also from a, a monetary perspective, billing perspective, as we go forward. And uh, so those are the two pieces of color that came to my mind as Dinesh was speaking. This connects back to, I think, something that Thomas mentioned very early on about efficiencies and um, operational efficiencies. I think Niels has touched on it too. Think about that. In the past, you'd have to enter that piece of data in that the truck has been unloaded to trigger the billing process. These are the efficiencies that we're talking about. It's suddenly things that had to be done manually or entered into systems manually, and there was a time delay. The pace of commerce is going to move faster in all these potential roadblocks that we have grown used to, I, no pun intended with roadblocks, uh, um, the, all the things that we've grown used to that it takes a day to get, get it built, these things are going to happen seamlessly. So there's a great example that Nils has thrown out there to show how you speed the processes um, with, uh, with device-aware connections. Let me give one quick example. Imagine a robot in a production line that recognizes by itself that there is a small quality problem, um, is really giving this quality problem into the ERP system, forwarding this to the customer, exchanging itself, sending a new robot to the same place, giving him this robot or giving this robot all the data required to perform the relevant steps and just continuing production half an hour later without any human interference. And I think 
This is another example where we see that the Internet of Things or even closely, more closely, the uh, Industry 4.0 really can help make processes much faster and, and really bringing much more quality to the end customer. Okay. Anybody else want to wrap up on this one before I move to a different uh, part of the conversation? Dinesh, anything you want to add? No. No. Okay. Neil's good? All right. I'm look. I'm thank you. I'm looking at good conversation. I love it when the panelists jump in. Uh, it gives us a lot of energy. Thomas Rin, I'm looking at the notes you sent me before the show. You've covered a lot of territory here. I'd like to talk about standards. I don't think we've brought this in. Uh, every industry thinks it needs standards. Every process, every trend thinks that somebody thinks they need to say, we're going to impose standards on you for, for the common good or for the best for everybody. Uh, I'm looking at your notes here and you say there's a war of standards, the Europe versus the U.S. And let me just read a moment here, Thomas. You say common standards are the key for a really functioning industry 4.0. These standards are mainly found in the IT and sensor sector. So I assume we're talking sensors, IoT, Internet of Things. Talk to us about standards. Are they here yet? Who is pushing for them? Who is imposing them uh, in Industry 4.0? Why don't you give us some background, Thomas? It's quite funny uh, at the moment because if you read the press, there's a lot of discussion on who is leading in, on, on the way of Industry 4.0? Is it uh, the, the U.S.? Is it the Industrial Internet Consortium? Is it Europe? Is it uh, Germany? One, one point is very clear. As long as communication standards or interfaces are not established, uh, the Internet of Things or Industry 4.0, especially looking at a factory, will not work. That means... The war of standards, is, it's quite something that is made up by the press. For me, it's, there, mm -hmm. there is a need for a dominant, a dominant agreed-on standard how machines, the Internet, are communicating. And I think there is a true need that this works because otherwise we will never be able to, to really go into cybersecurity issues and find a way to, to deal with this. Um, and that's something that is an ongoing discussion in, in many countries. Uh, we did work for, for many countries on that issue. We looked at the market, and there are. And I think it's, it's not not the, the issue of, of politics. I think it's the issue of, of the big firms to really agree on this. Uh, and I also see that the small and medium-sized firms really cannot do it. So there is a need for a joint standard. There is a need to really take out the word "war" of standards, mm -hmm. but to really uh, exchange it with there is a need for an agreement of standards. Thank you. And Th Thomas, who would be, if, if you were to sit a panel of leaders, business leaders down today, if I told you by 5 p.m. today, New York time, we needed a panel, who would be on it to, to get rid of the word war and to bring reasonable minds and reasonable thoughts to the table and make standards that would be adoptable and would help companies at all levels of maturity in all industries, all footprints? Who would those people be? Just quickly, Thomas, thoughts? I, th I think those would be the Industry 4.0 specialists of, of, of the big firms like, like GE, like, uh, like Apple, like Google, like Bosch, like Siemens and really stop the terminology of war, but really identify something that could be a minimum standard where companies can work with. Thank you very much. I'm sorry to bring that question on you, but I knew you could answer. Niels? Oh, sorry. Yes. Um, I agree with um, the Thomas that, um, you know, and, um, that standards are required uh, to actually drive Industry 4.0 um, Internet of Things forward. 
Um, I think there are some sectors who have sorted this one out. By the way, the aerospace sector has sorted this one out quite, quite nicely in the past. Um, yet other industries like the industrial machines, they have not. So I would say that the Internet of Things and also standards are unevenly distributed um, um, across industries. And there are some leading industries and there are some lagging industries. And it is you know, in the Industry 4.0 context, Thomas, the fact is that the, the industrial machinery sector and the sensor guys um, are lagging in terms of you know, an agreement. It is a very fragmented crowd um, and mm -hmm. there's no dominant player in that. Your aerospace has standards because there's just Boeing and Airbus and um, they have just mandated them. I agree with you that um, you know, the stand, there are, there's a need for, um, for standards. Um, I do not think that there's a need for national standards. I think there are, there's a need for international standards. I think that the Internet of Things will drive the need for further standards. Um, I think sensors, for the most part, from what I know, are stupid things at the moment. But if you look, for instance, at the laptop that is standing in front of you, um, you know, there, the USB standard is an intelligence standard where if you plug it in, it says, hey, I'm a mouse and my capabilities are the following. And that, for me, are the starting points of the inter intelligent Internet of Things. And um, so these standards will need to evolve. Um, it is not that everybody is going to agree and buy in and that it's going to be by consensus. I think there will be some um, corporations and some organizations that will agree and, by, uh, I think, force um, the standards just by adoption. And um, that is how this will move forward. The um, standards um, will evolve continuously over time as the Internet of Things becomes even more intelligent. And um, then things like security, like data security, like our origin of the data, um, verification of data sources, um, of sensors, all of those things will require some level of standards of communication um, as we go forward. But this is a journey, I, and I think that there are a lot of uh, folks who are willing to go that journey. Recognize, though, that um, you know, some companies think that they are competing uh, with each other, and that's why they are relying on um, proprietary standards. Um, I think, to some degree, you know, Apple is proving to us that a um, an ecosystem standard uh, actually can be very successful, and that you do not need to be open to everything. You just need to drive an ecosystem. Thank you, Dinesh Sharma. I heard you there. Sorry, I just wanted to get Niels on in the rotation. Dinesh, talk to us. I know you have a lot to say. Okay. Um, I want to make two points about this, and, and, and just generally speaking, before I make this point, I want to be clear that uh, that I do think standards are incredibly important, and I'll, and I'll think about those and talk about those in a longer-term sense. However, I do want to make the point that there's plenty of work that has been done today in the absence of standards, and the primary driver of somebody engaging and employing IoT as a set of technologies that fit a particular use case are their economic viability. What is the business outcome that is delivered? And at some point, it is possible to make the argument that this is such a valuable process or workload that's being automated that we're going to put up with the lack of standards. And we, you know, uh, Niels and I have probably worked on similar types of uh, projects where 
we've had many different types of endpoints which have required a considerable amount of work to aggregate that data because it's just not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a common standard. And so, it, and that is going to continue because there is plenty of problems out there in the world today which can be solved. They just might not be done as elegantly. However, to get and to hit the exponential growth curve and to do the things I think that Thomas is pointing out where small companies can really effectively compete, they need to be able to limit the size of interfaces that they need to be able to attack so that they can produce value. And so we may do the big ticket items and the things that um, you know, need to be done and people can make the argument that in, even in the absence of standards we can do today. But long term, standards do need to evolve. Um, and, you know, the points that were made around security, if you don't have open interfaces, you're not going to have an adequate community testing of, of those security of those interfaces. Anything that's proprietary and not left open as an algorithm in the security, in the cybersecurity space is, is often attacked. And so I think that's something that it does need to happen long term. But as Nils also pointed out, there's a lot of powerful players in this particular space, and there's players who have made a tremendous success of completely proprietary-based ecosystems. You may think they're open, but suddenly you realize you're just in a completely proprietary-based ecosystem because it's so large, and you have to play there. I think you refer to Apple. Um, but you know, I, I think that we're still going to see incredibly meaningful progress over the next few years, uh, even in the absence of standards, but long-term, they will evolve. It may be something, you know, maybe like the IETF, the Internet Engineering Task Force, which self-governs and monitors um, the, the Internet standards. Um, that might be one place where, where companies might get, and via a meritocracy, you develop standards versus some of the competing efforts. You know, there's multiple home connection standards bodies. There's multiple industrial standards bodies. And so, you know, it's, it's a... It is a fractured uh, landscape at this moment in time, but I don't think that's going to stop um, some of the big use case stuff that's actually going on right now, where people have already determined that there is, it's worth doing even though there is no standards in place. Thank you, Dinesh. Thomas Wren, we've gone around the table and we've got a lot of points up now. Do you want to comment on anything that Niels added or Dinesh? Yeah, just... just one, one quick comment. I think you are absolutely right if you look at the factory, and I think there is a lot of pro, or there will be a lot of progress that, that we can see in the next months and years to come to really optimize and take efficiency using all the technology on the on the shop floor in the factory in a closed system. Uh, if you if you go beyond this closed system, beyond the factory, it's a, it's a chicken and egg issue. On the one side, you need clear interfaces. Uh, on the other side, you need cybersecurity. Um, the question is, what has to be there first? And I, I, I really not, I'm really not sure whether this is just evolving because I, I see many, many companies, um, and I've talked to, to a CEO of one of the largest German companies last week, and he said, without cybersecurity, there will be no industry 4.0 between companies. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there is. It's, it's quite clear um, companies can change, factories can improve, use the technology, but the, 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 the factory is kind of a, of a borderline um, for this discussion at the moment. 
And once we have the standards, then we might have cybersecurity, and you're, you're potentially more the expert whether it's the other way around. But I think there's a true need and not just an evolving system. Thank you. Niels, you want to add something to this before we move on to another topic? Yeah, just a quick note. I think uh, mm-hmm. just to, to reinforce Dinesh's point, um, I think um, you know, I see customers already doing um, scenarios where there's value and they're not waiting for the standards to show up. They're not as beautiful as we could theoretically imagine. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think the key message to the listeners of the show is if you're waiting for all the standards to be there, the opportunity is over. And um, I think the point is a lot of our customers are harvesting already um, in specific areas where there's a huge amount of value that warrants the investment and the lack of standards. I think ultimately we will get to the standards just like the guys um, who created the phone system internationally agreed on some standards at some point Mm -hmm. in time in the past. The same will happen here. It will just take time. Thank you. All good. I I heard somebody. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. May I have one add-on to Thomas again? I think I agree for all the big companies. If you look at a typical machinery company in the manufacturing um, environment, uh, having a revenue of 300 to 600 or, or, or 1 billion euros or US dollars, mm-hmm. you, you, you cannot just try. You, you have mm-hmm. one, one shot, and this shot has to be the right one. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, those companies are hesitating at the moment. They do whatever they can do within their own influence, but are really um, uh, are really looking at, at the environment around their, their, their circle of inference with very mixed feelings. Um, and especially those companies, I'm, I, I know that I'm arguing for, from, 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 uh, not from, uh, from the typical Siemens or Bosch point of view at the moment, um, it's quite clear you have one shot. You have to do the, it right the first time, and there's only one way. If not, somebody else might be much better or faster than you are. But I agree with one thing, not doing anything is not an option either. Yes. We good? Interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation. I appreciate it. I just have to have, make a note here that uh, Dinesh is coming back with me an hour after we end this show. We're going to be talking on the brand-new series, um, Business Innovation with Game Changers. We're going to be talking about business networks powering today's virtual enterprise. So that should be very, very interesting. So Dinesh will have a lot more opportunity to chime in. But right now, before we go to break, and we might even skip the break, Niels Herzberg, I'd like to bring up one topic from your notes because it's your turn now. And uh, I'm looking at very interesting things here. You say in IoT, Internet of Things, it's not about thing to dashboard. It's about thing to action. Any comment you want to make on that? I have one more point I want you to discuss, but anything you want to add for the for our listeners, Niels? Yeah, I think I, um, I mean, obviously I see a lot of um, IoT projects and um, they all end up with a dashboard with a lot of logos and they show robots that don't work or tractors that move around or things like that. What is the point of knowing that? Um, if you are not able to do um, something about that data, you know, do um, you're in the case of a broken tractor, you know, send the spare part if you know who the owner is. So I think that, and this was also the point that Dinesh made in the beginning, the Internet of Things is part of a journey. 
first of all, you connect the thing to um, you know, to a database or um, you know, to an application. You see what's going on, but then ultimately you want to do something about that. Um, you know, I'll use a very um, you know, uh, pla- um, uh, a good example. I think you know, what is the point of knowing that um, you know, ten tractors failed in the last half an hour? Mm-hmm. Then you put prediction on it. Then you know another 12 are going to fail in the next half an hour. There's no value unless you can do something about that. Mm-hmm. Who's the service technician? Do I have a service part? Can I diagnose? Can I patch? You know, and um, all of that information. So ultimately, it is about taking action on the data that you are seeing and not just looking at the data and being amazed by the data. That's what I mean when I said it is about thing to action and not just thing to dashboard. Thing to dashboard is an intermediate state that you get trust in terms of the data that you're seeing. But then very soon thereafter, you will automate what you're seeing into workflows, into um, your trigger events, and you will start automating make sure that people do something about what they're seeing. I think that is the key point. Thank you. I'm, I'm intrigued by this, Niels. I'm, I'm thinking of somebody uh, at the helm. You bring in IoT. You get your sensors working. You rev everything up, and somebody saying, "Wow, look at this! Six trucks failed. This is so exciting. Look at all we know." And somebody else is in the background scratching their head and and putting their, drinking an extra cup of highly caffeinated coffee and saying, "Damn, we are smart, aren't we?" And then somebody else is saying, "Well, what the hell?" And that's not the word I want to use. What the hell are we going to do now? Very important to go from amazement, look at our dashboard, how smart are we, to what the heck do we do next. Uh, Niels, I want to bring up one more point here. Um, I think you've already already touched on this. You say connecting devices from via the Internet to business applications is just the first part of the journey. You've mentioned the word journey several times. Then you say the next is predictive, and we talked about that. But there are two more terms in here I'd like you to talk about. You say then comes system modeling, and then maybe, maybe AI, artificial intelligence. So could you briefly take us through the the system modeling and AI part, Niels? Yes. And, um, I mean, when I wrote this, I was actually in Japan and, um, you know, driving on, um, you know, the high-speed rail network in Japan and having just spoken to them, um, you know, they run a very um, complex system, okay? And ultimately, it is not only about the one thing and the um, the data we extract from a Fitbit or something, but it is also in the context you know, uh, Thomas, you're talking about the factory. It is not about the the one machine in the factory that we really care about. It is the, the network of machines, the system of machines making something. So you have to model that next, you know, and then you run your simulations on that. Um, you know, the artificial intelligence, um, you know, it is really about after that, that it's not going to be humans writing the predictive codes, but it is also going to be about the code self-optimizing these systems. Um, But, Bonnie, coming back to the core point, the start Mm -hmm. is connect the things, get the data. If you don't know the data, you don't have anything to run on. You can't predict anything. You can't model anything. You can't improve anything. So that is the starting point, and that, this is the journey that I think that we will go through over time, um, and uh, we will end up with um, systems that dynamically adjust, businesses that dynamically and to some degree automatically adjust to changes, to surprises, to ships coming late to harbor, mm-hmm. to 
thunderstorms or snowstorms, I think, is probably the better thing in Boston. Yes, um, in New York, yeah, yes. Snowstorms <laughs> in, um, in Boston. Yeah, how do, um, yeah, and it doesn't take humans. In, in, I think in 20 years from now, it won't take humans to adjust to um, the business to a snowstorm in Boston. I think the, um, the, the algorithms will suggest what is to do based on the information that they have gained from the Internet of Things. Thank you. You know what? We're almost ready for our predictions, but I don't want to miss the opportunity to have Dinesh Sharma and Thomas Rin chime in on what Niels Herzberg just said. So, Dinesh, can you just take a minute to comment on Niels' uh, talking points? Do we um, have to? So, there you are. You know, Niels' point about dashboard is, uh, is pertinent because I had a similar conversation with uh, a European utility who said, yeah, nice dashboard. They said, but how many people do you think are in our company? Do you think there's three of us sitting around a table who just say, hey, <laughs> that wind turbine's going to fail. What are you going to do about it? He said, there's 36,000 people in the company. And our company runs, you know, with process and workflow. And that process and workflow runs end-to-end on SAP. So when that uh, wind turbine looks like it hits a failure threshold and there's a three weeks to the, uh, to the boat run, you know, because it's under the North Sea, you know, can you kick off a service ticket? Can you kick off a, a supply chain lookup for uh, a geofenced uh, inventory management? They said, you have all the means. You have all the process in place with SAP. You can just eliminate the friction between some of those. And so this then gets to the point, I think, what Nils is making around you go beyond predictive. Predictive suggests something to you. Of ultimately, we'll get to prescriptive analytics, which is, not only are we going to predict what's going to happen, we're going to, uh, we're going to take autonomous control and autonomous action. You know, it may sound like science fiction to a lot of people, but what Nils is talking about with automatically adjusting to snowstorms, etc., that's all going to happen. I mean, um, we have the means to be able to do that. But if you go way back to the, one of the first things that Nils suggested is about you have to connect things. I, I often am asked about this, and I say, we live in an analog world. We need to get those analog signals into a digital format so that software can operate upon it. And so, you know, we don't live in a digital world as much as we like to think we do. It's mm-hmm. all physical. We have to get the physical world into the, into the digital domain. So, um, you know, these things all need to happen over time, but um, yeah, I, I'm glad Neil's brought up that thing about the dashboard. It's one of the things that's uh, one of my pet peeves is that, you know, um, you know, I get shown another app which controls and you know shows me what a what a clothes washer is doing, and I go, so what? <laughs> you so know, what? It's not really that important. Is that what's more important is aggregating that information across everybody who's bought that particular model of clothes washer. When do they use it? Why do they use it at that time? What's the loading in there? But those are all connected back into the base systems that run companies' businesses, and so in a way. What you're going to find by this digitization or bringing the analog world into the digital space is it's the rebirth or renaissance of the value of what goes on inside the back end of companies. Suddenly, the the data that's made available to those allows amazing decisions, allows amazing customer service experiences, allows amazing operational efficiency so we don't waste as much stuff. So, I mean, that's kind of, you know, the vision of where, where we think this will go. 
Dinesh, you just gave me your predictions. We're four and a half minutes from the end of the show, so I'm going to thank you for sliding us into home plate with your predictions, whether you intended it or not. Great. And let's go to Thomas Wren. Thomas, I can give you, oh, just about 90 seconds for your predictions. Go ahead, Thomas Wren. I think my prediction doesn't need 90 seconds. I think if we if we talk again in in, in 2020, um, um, then we would all say um, we have been too conservative in in what we have thought, and maybe the speed we would say the speed was much faster than we expected. Um, and I think we have to be aware that the world is is changing very very fast. And taking your example that you have just brought, just imagine an airline. Uh, when there's a snowstorm coming up with the production of a flight plan and you receive two days ahead uh, a prediction as a, as a customer that you should better take the flight tomorrow, uh, that you will be there uh, the day after or take the flight one week later because the flights in between will be full or canceled, um, then it might really help uh, being part of a production system. Um, I think we cannot imagine this at this point yet. But I think transparency data, using data, will help us throughout the world and will increase speed much faster than we currently predict. Thank you. And you did use your 90 seconds, and I'm delighted because you covered a lot. I'm, By the way, I'm, I'm thinking about this uh, things connected to a dashboard versus uh, taking action. I'm seeing uh, Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock having this conversation somewhere in, in a future time, and it's here now. Niels Herzberg, I saved 90 seconds for you and exactly 90 for your predictions. Why don't you wrap this up for me? Go ahead, Niels. Yeah. I think in 2020 it will be as easy to connect a thing to the Internet as it is to do a voice call today. Um, I think this is going to be, as I said previously, part of the corporate fabric. If you're not doing Internet of Things, connecting your things, you're probably behind the curve. Um, Will we be talking about the Internet of Things in 2020? No. Probably some other um, terminology will have been found, yet the topic and the need to do something um, has, will not go away just because the hype has moved on. So I think that is my key prediction. I think we will have this under our belt. We will have more standards, more advanced standards. Um, I agree with um, you know, my fellows here, uh, but I think this is going to be just part of the fabric. It's, internet is going to be a utility, and it's going to be easy to connect things via the Internet to the enterprise. Thank you very much. And I'm going to do some predictions of my own. Number one, I'm going to predict that we're going to have an episode, Dinesh, on our series called Internet of Things with Game Changers. I'm going to ask Darren Crowder and Ira Burke at SAP to name an episode, IOT, So What? Maybe we really need to address that. And I think that'd be a very hot topic now that we brought it up here. But I'm also going to predict that I'll be back in an hour, an hour and three minutes from right now with Dinesh and another panel on the introduction of one of our newest Series, Business Innovation with Game Changers, sponsored by Jeannie Trin at Ariba, an SAP company, today at 12 noon Eastern. I'll also predict I'll be back tomorrow with Coffee Break with Game Changers, 11 a.m., and in the afternoon, 3 p.m., the Internet of Things with Game Changers, Speak It of the Devil. And next Tuesday, March 3rd, we'll be debuting another new series called Game Changing Women. You don't want to miss that one. Special thank you to my very smart, very smooth, very interesting panel, Dinesh Sharma 
Karma, thank you so much. Thomas Rin, thank you so much. Niels Herzberg, thank you so much. Wonderful conversation. I love the the push-me-pull-you counter and, and uh, back and forth. Terrific panel. And a shout-out to Wilson Zhu, Z-H-U at SAP. Great tweets. And we had a couple tweets from Ryan O'Neill at SAP as well. Shout-out to the series sponsor, Becky Weber and Lindsay Nelson at SAP. Brad and the Business Channel team, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And here's my call to action. i got 30 seconds to wrap this up. Fasten your seatbelt. Maybe it has sensors and it's connected to something. It'll tell you what to do next. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Signing off for right now. I'll be back in an hour. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.